Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management Podcast. I'm Bex Debman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I've met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM. I can't believe that two weeks have rushed round again and here we are speaking to our next expert. I always have started now introducing these people as my friends and Patrick is no different, albeit we've only seen each other actually across a room in person, but we've done a lot of time on calls, Patrick, yeah, haven't we? Um... A lot of calls, yeah. <laughs> Lots of sort of distant waving. Exactly. But, uh, I know, I scurried yeah, I'm out. Sure, I'm sure we'll do it in person at some point. We will. No, we absolutely will. Um, we were there for another standard, weren't we, being launched? And um, I had to go and see a client almost immediately. And I sort of saw you and then just disappeared like a like an apparition. That's what I like to think myself. <laughs> so let's just talk about how we did meet. So obviously the listeners know that um, we're doing some work on the standards and we're looking to develop 31030 and other standards around that area. Um, and a few months before we started, Russell sent out a sort of call to arms, Russell Price. And I think you then saw that and then contacted me and we had a bit of a chat. Um, and yeah. bless you, you never got a chance to say no. And now you're in. Yes. Yeah. Both both feet, I think. So, uh... Which is what we love. So um, I don't want to talk too much. It's all about the guests on this show. So I'm going to hand over to you with our first question. And I'm going to ask you to tell everyone who you are. And what is it that you do, Patrick? Sure. Uh, so my name is is Patrick Rogers. Uh, I suppose my official title is Head of Risk Advisory for Alert24, which is WTW's um, internal security and crisis management uh, consulting practice. So WTW being the uh, big insurance broker, formerly Willis Towers Watson. I think we did what everyone else did, your sort of PWCs and everything, and, and chop it all down into... Uh, into a three-letter acronym, but uh, but yes, we we work as a as a operational risk uh, risk treatment function within the broking arm uh, of that business. So technically, crisis management, which is an amalgamation of of us, uh, the terror and political violence broking team, and special contingency risks, which are uh, kind of market leaders in in people risks. Um, so particularly things like kidnap for ransom and uh, accident and health policies, active active assailant type piracy, etc. So, uh, our role within that is to help bring the operational risk piece to life. So you have all this lovely uh, insurance transfer, you know, the risk transfer piece that comes with it, and the, the warm hug that that has. But for the people risks and certainly the the travel risk management piece, you also have the red button that you can hit on things like kidnap for ransom policy. So that operational response, which is a part of my and, and my colleagues background. So uh, supporting security and medical response uh, in all sorts of circumstances, be that relatively benign or things like Sudan or whatever is, is taking place currently. It's crazy, isn't it? Whenever we do one of these calls, I'd like to say that there isn't something going on in the world, but there always is. So when I first started doing this, you know, we were talking about Ukraine a bit and some of the security companies and what they were having to do out there. And of course, now we're straight into Sudan and, 
you know, these, <clears throat> it sometimes feels, I think when we watch things on the news, we feel shocked and, you know, and, and that's it. It feels a little bit distant, but, you know, you guys are involved in this because you will be helping people get out and uh, all different situations but it, it, it just completely then kind of emphasizes actually how important this stuff is you know I've been a little bit horrified listening to the news and I know some of it potentially a bit propagandary but mm. it's you know these they you know they've obviously got out the diplomats but now they're trying to get these other you know, everyone else out that's there and you just think actually put yourself in that situation that would be utterly terrifying um yeah. and you know something you weren't expecting because it all happened so quickly didn't it in this in this situation yeah exactly I think uh as, as you say you know the media you know this is my perspective but the media has taken uh quite sort of jumped on the bandwagon of, of slating the government for mass evacuations but they're very very complicated things and especially in somewhere like Sudan where your aerial routes are, are limited and you've got very very long road moves through uh, potentially quite hostile territory etc so it's uh it's it's one of the most complicated evacuation planning pieces that that people are doing currently um you know the time of recording but you know even just ahead of that if you are building out an evacuation plan for a scenario like this, it is incredibly complex. And, uh, you know, you can't just rely on government to do that. You have to take some ownership as well. And part of travel risk management, best practice, you know, risk assess before you go. This is not, this has not come out of the blue. There have been these issues for a long time. Um, so I agree, and I wonder whether sometimes we lean too much on the government, assuming that actually, well, you know, we're, we're whatever, in our case, British citizens, and we'll have that expectation of them just to get us out. Where actually, sometimes you just got to look after yourself in these situations, yeah. haven't you, as much as you can? But you know, questionably, why were you there in the first place? And this isn't Sudan. You know, I remember when Afghanistan all closed down again, and there was a story of a guy who'd literally just decided to go there because he'd seen that it was one of the most dangerous places in the world yeah, to go the, to. Yeah, a holiday just... guy, the TikToker guy, I know. Yeah, um, and I, I get it, but again, when it happens, like this isn't a film, this isn't a, you know, this isn't a game, this is real life, and, and it's just, yeah, it, yeah, it seems all a bit nuts to me. I would be miles away. I keep watching all these things on TV about risks. So I was watching about volcanoes and earthquakes the other day, so I, I need to just, like, simmer it down a little bit because I'm not going to leave <laughs> yeah. the to go on holiday Comes ever again. All-encompassing, all doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> but uh, even, even to that point, you know, on the operational response, uh, you know, evacuation response that comes with insurance policies and things, you know, you've got your control risks and crisis 24s and SRM and others that, that – will support getting people out but it's you know part of my role is to help manage expectations of clients as well which is you know you're not going to have jason Bourne in, in blackhawks and apaches coming to get you it's normally abdul in his van that's very low profile who's yeah. going to basically yeah. pick you up in the middle of the night and bundle you across the border in some way um you know that's often the realities of of what it looks like and in some places uh we talk about in evacuation as well so hibernation really which is sometimes okay, it's better yeah. to stay still because the actual road moves or whatever it is you're going to do is more risky than than uh than staying put which is kind of the advice i think that they were giving out to begin with weren't they they were like you know, just just stay where you are until we can kind of sort this out because it, it's it's funny how the media turns it because it did it did have a, and i actually i read it and i was quite reactionary and i thought hang on a minute i work in this space there is no way that there is not stuff happening to try and sort this there's just no way there's too many companies that would be and too many people that would be too invested in anything like this around the world to not 
it did feel like, you know, we jumped on the bandwagon just to have another pop at our government, which, you know, fine. But this isn't a political show, so I'll keep that to one side. Um, so thank you. And I just, it's good to just dig into Sedan a bit. I mean, this is going to air in August, so it may be a little bit further down, but it's very likely, I think, that it will probably still be happening and, and it will have just become the norm, I guess. But right now it feels... We'll, we'll have um, the next Sudan, whatever that is. Um, you know, yeah, these, exactly. these things come up every six months, pretty much. They do, they do. And I've seen other areas as well. So so let's get into that a bit more then. So, I mean, you've, you've got a huge amount of knowledge there. You've got a huge amount of experience. And I can feel that, you know, there's a, there's a big passion behind all of this. So how did you get into all of this? And what is your why around this, Patrick? What drives you? Yeah, it's a good good question. I mean, I've always, I suppose all, like all things, it kind of starts with how you, you're brought up, really. You know, I, I grew up in a house where uh, both my parents travelled a lot for for work um, and we were fortunate enough to travel a lot on holidays and things like that um, so much of much of my upbringing was really kind of looking out um, at the world as opposed to looking in in on the UK really so uh, so I went to university to do international business because I assumed I'd sort of follow in their their footsteps to you know go and sell toothpaste or whatever it is I was going to do um, internationally uh, and then I was trying to work out what to do at the end of university and decided I was really interested in lots of the concepts that I was learning about uh, so I looked at doing an international relations course um, somewhere in London which was close to home for me um, and I stumbled across uh, King's and the War Studies Department and uh, what became my, my MA, my Master's in Intelligence and International Security so I sort of which sounds uh, sounds very James Bondy, but really isn't. It was actually pretty much an international relations course. You know, it was about diplomacy. It was about uh, some of the historical uh, legacy security events around the world and and things like that. Uh, and I sort of fell into doing risk analysis and risk assessment um, for a couple of boutique security and crisis management uh, companies and. Uh, I was looking at joining the Marines at one point and I sort of had to have an ultimatum really, which was, can I come and work on a gold mine in Tanzania, which crossed over with uh, the sort of selection process with, with the Marines. And uh, I decided to, to go to Tanzania and that was me set really. So ever since been working with, uh, during that role in particular, that was kind of security and human rights for, for mega projects in, in Africa and the Middle East. So lots of travel, a lot of time on the road, you know, sort of six months of the year uh, abroad. Um, and then I went into maritime security and then into uh, other sort of wider security and, and crisis management consulting. So always been on the consulting side and I've always been traveling a lot. Um, and really the wise is that, you know, I, I really enjoy the travel and things. You know, I really liked uh, seeing different cultures, really liked understanding how different industries, sectors, you know, NGOs through to uh, state entities, through to your big multinationals, you know, how they all operate in these different environments and uh, the imprint that they put on it, the people that are going there. And, you know, I was always looking at it from a security perspective. So making people feel safe and secure in these environments. Um, and you, you saw the full spectrum of things. You saw some that were very experienced and some that were very inexperienced and very very nervy so um you know, it's about 
helping people in in those circumstances and, and just the way that my career's gone you know I've mentioned uh, some of the work we've done around higher risk environments or kidnap and evacuation things like that you know helping people in real need and uh, not too many careers that you can take where you feel like you're making a tangible kind of human uh, impact in what you're doing and yes you know I'm a consultant you know, I make money out of doing this but also, you know, when I sit back and have a have a beer at the end of the day, quite a lot of my day is really focused about helping making people safer and, and, and quite often actually resolving um, some quite tricky situations. A little bit different than selling toothpaste. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but now I work with some of the big companies that uh, that do sell toothpaste, so uh, I still There's get to see nothing wrong their... with toothpaste. We all exactly. need it. So I, um, um, yeah. But it's very. I get. I totally understand. It's this. Um, it's what I feel like, like now. I've moved into this kind of the policy side, and actually some of the stuff that we're doing there too is to be able to sort of drive this stuff forward, but just know there's a deeper meaning. I guess from my stuff, from from my side, I was in the travel industry, and you know, ultimately. I love traveling too. I always have done. Um, and I very similar to you. My mum used to take us away and stuff. She didn't travel. She was working in the NHS, but she would save up all her money um, and make sure that we got to see the world. So I've always had this real interest in other cultures. And and I guess, you know, we're, we're really fortunate to have the opportunity to, to be able to do that. But then when I started working within the travel industry, I started in adventure travel, which was really cool. Um, and then I've sort of looked, but worked in lots of different kind of areas across it, and I, I suddenly thought, hang on a second, we're not we're not brain surgeons here. We're not really doing anything that that's. And I think as we've moved into you know an an environmental crisis that we're kind of in, um, it, it didn't start sitting so well with me that actually you know, the travel industry is actually encouraging people to to constantly travel all of the time. So. Across this crossover to risk for me, I get exactly what you're saying because you feel like you're putting people first. It's also quite an interesting standard to talk about with corporates when we start talking about 3130. I mean, we've nicknamed it the people's standard. And I think as soon as you can get a standard to be about people rather than a thing which people kind of are turned off by, you seem to get a little bit more traction and people are able to suddenly put themselves in that situation. I think... um... You know, that's a really important piece and we we bang on about duty of care with with clients and uh you know we we have a global client base of all all types and you see the cultural and even sector um biases and kind of tendencies that that come up around when you mention duty of care and some will really not understand it some might not understand how it fits with their business model you know why, why do we have to care about this when actually we need to worry about making money um, and things and that does come up and it's a strange conversation to have and then you've got some of the really big like, Scandinavian clients who who go above and beyond the norm or what I would determine to be the norm because they they care they genuinely care um, about their people and, and what they're doing and um, if they're not doing it right very quick to address it and take it very very seriously at a a senior leadership level Um, but as I say you get others um, who who care less and then you've got people like NGOs whose business it is to to operate in dangerous environments as well you know that's um, that's their business model if you like uh, which is we have to help the people of Sudan you know 
at this moment. So we've got to go there, but we've got to have some risk management. And typically that starts with travel risk management um, in place. Need help implementing a standard or maintaining a management system? Ascent Risk Management can support you throughout any stage of your project. The expert team delivers impartial consultancy and auditing services across multiple disciplines, including information security, cybersecurity, environmental sustainability, health and safety, quality management, and business improvement. More than just box ticking, their team works in collaboration with yours to build up bespoke management systems that return real business benefits. Find Ascent online at www.ascent1, which is A-S-S-E-N-T-1.com. So, I mean, how has your role, have you had a lot of, and I'm not trying to sort of push the standard here, but obviously we're talking about travel risk management and we now have a standard in it. So how have you found that in your role, having the standard actually come uh, and be there? Has it made a difference? I think you're absolutely right. You know, you can get you can talk to people in corporates and companies, and this is this is the harsh truth. So for those listening, you know, <laughs> bear this in mind. When you're talking to employees, they get it. Uh, at least they get why they should be being looked after in certain situations and kind of have, in some cases, an expect a right expectation to that. And then it comes down to how much it costs, which ultimately isn't that much per person when you break it down over a year. It's nothing compared to what people pay on Netflix and Amazon and all that kind of stuff and don't even think about it. Um, but of course, the standard isn't a certification yet, and um, I've had a lot of pushbacks. You know, how are we going to get this through if it's not a certification? You know, all of that sort of stuff. So, how are you finding it in your world? Yeah, so we, um, and this is not a plug for what we do at all, but um, you know, we do say gap analyses of big organisations against the the standard and the guidelines that outline that, and we were doing that before the standard you know we were telling them what best practice is which we know through our own industry experience but having the standard being able to for us to stand behind it and say instead of this is what patrick from wcw thinks best practice is this is you know patrick saying this is as articulated in an international standard best practice and you know some of the other bits that we can add to that then is okay we've seen similar types of industries and clients, et cetera, and how best to apply that. Maybe that's the, the sort of further 10%, but how clients use it and the the origins of it vary. We've got some who, who want to use the work that we do and the standard to improve their duty of care for all the right reasons. You know, they've had near misses or uh, suddenly seeing the leadership have picked up on the fact that they're not feeling as safe as they did and maybe their old company and why is not this in place? You know, that's come up um, quite a few times. But you know, other things is uh, helping risk managers of all sorts within organizations get, get buy-in to do what they know is right and helps them in their day job. But um, quite often the bean counters will say no and there's not real justification to them as to why. So, you know, that's part of the role that we can play and, and of course, the standard to say that this is what we should be doing and what what we're not. Um, and you know, some of the skill that we apply to that is also helping show value in risk management. You know, we're always talking about the opportunity side of risk. Um, and if you can sensibly manage the risks, travel risks, etc., you can get um, you know a competitive advantage in some circumstances. But also, you can save costs, and we've done that with 
clients because we've had a good look under their travel risk management, uh, you know, bonnet, I suppose, hood. Oh, hood, I was going to say. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it depends who I'm talking to. to. To me, it's a bonnet. Many others, it's a hood. But, uh, you know, we've had a good look underneath and we are helping them optimize their processes through the standard effectively to say, okay, well, you've got all, for instance, on the insurance side, you've got all these insurances that actually come with freebies and perks and things. And you've got access to training, you've got access to risk updates, you've got risk platforms that um, you may not be aware of and that you can use and you don't need to spend money on others uh, that you are sort of running alongside each other. Uh, we've got others where people are taking out their own business travel insurance, but not understanding that actually the company is already covering them when they're on, on business travel, et cetera, but then they expense it back to the business. So there's a company that we just worked with who, who will save genuinely hundreds of thousands of, of dollars by just articulating this better in their policy. So, you know, we can help, uh, not, not we, not me as such, but us as, a, as an industry in the kind of what we're trying to do around the ISO and, and just more widely in travel risk management is show those efficiencies that will keep the bean counters happy, but more to the point, do the duty care stuff that feels right and is right um, on a kind of human to human level. I, I just completely agree with you. I'm finding exactly the same stuff. So I, I call it duty of care solutions selling that I think the industry has been doing for quite some time. So, you know, you get your insurance policy, you get all these extra bits, you get your TMC, you apparently get all these extra bits. Um, you've then got potentially an assistance that's perhaps tied into the insurance in some way. But lots of people are overlapping and lots of people are offering the same things. What is interesting when you do the deep dive is that a lot of them aren't, doing it as well as perhaps the corporate thinks they are or it's not been rolled out as much as it should have been or perhaps it's a question of content and actually the assistance company is only as good as the content it receives from the TMC and this savings piece is something that I talk about all the time so there's always a cost involved with bringing in a consultant in to to look at this stuff or even if you're doing it yourself for me this if you can reduce their but actually then when you start looking at the travel program itself properly and taking ownership of it, there will definitely be reductions there as well. You know, we all know people are traveling more than perhaps they should. And perhaps they don't know. They've just gone back to what they were doing pre-COVID. And because the company hasn't said, actually, we want to do this now, they've continued. Perhaps at a more stressful level because they don't want to be doing it. But there seems to be this sort of big uptake. And if you can really bring that in, along and kind of get to this place that we call purposeful travel or meaningful travel that's going to help you reduce and that is going to pay for all of this stuff so as much as we say yes you you know it's going to cost you to bring a travel risk management program in it is you can definitely look at offsetting those costs by actually looking at reduction across your program or reduction of suppliers so yeah for me that's really important sorry i'll let you have your thoughts no on no that. no i thought it was great also the uh, dog snoring as well which is uh adding a lovely uh <laughs> kind of back note to that which uh uh no which is great though um but no i mean you look you hit the nail on the head and um so all these things are risk management as i say you know um my job satisfaction is really high i really enjoy what i do and i feel like you know i get to do things for all the right reasons but um yeah, the corporate capitalist world, it's not always the same. And uh, we have to speak to different audiences in order to get, um, you know, the actions and the achievements that we want 
want in place for those right reasons. Um, no, I completely, you know, I completely agree with you. And it, I think it's just a learning thing, isn't it? I think it's about the right conversations. It's about all of us being on this sort of journey, I guess, within into travel risk management to just keep moving the conversations forward. It's interesting that, yeah, there's always going to be companies doing this at different speeds. Those companies that have experienced something or, as you say, have had a near miss are going to be a lot more reactive to this a lot more quickly <clears throat> rather than those thinking, I've never had this happen. It's never going to happen. Not going to worry about it. Let's spend the money on something else. So for me, I, mean, I think... just No, go on. So yeah. just to jump in on that point, I mean, we, we've noticed a big difference in... Uh, some of the thought corporate thought process around travel risk management, which is off the back of Ukraine and, and some of the concerns around uh, markets like Taiwan, which people, you know, previously would say, well, we don't go to Iraq or Libya or Afghanistan and all the others. So, um, you know, we don't have a problem. We don't have exposures there, do we? But, um, you know, when there's a war in Europe and there's, you know, what we perceive as sort of, um you know developed countries like taiwan and things uh, at potential risk who have massive supply chain issues a lot of travelers going there a lot of local staff plugged into uh different types of organizations you know suddenly it it, uh, it kind of brings it home a bit for them where they go okay well you know we this duty of care piece um is is maybe more applicable than i thought about it's interesting. I've, I've spoken to a couple of you know colleagues or friends who are doing some. Turkey is a big area at the moment. That you know we we do a lot of events in Istanbul. We do things, and actually that's an area that people are now going. Oh, oh, this travel risk piece. Actually, this duty of care piece. So <clears throat> it's good that people are doing it. Are they doing it quick enough? I'm not sure. But you know, there's only so much of us kind of in this space doing the things that we need to do. So, yeah, I think it's, it's about people doing the right thing, isn't it? But it's difficult when there's not enough people in the company. It's it's so much it's so much easier in lots of ways for those larger corporates that have got the manpower to do this. It's so much harder if you're an SME or a smaller company or a startup and your your budgets are tight and you just don't actually have the skill set maybe to to look at some of this stuff. And it's so much easier when a technology provider or some other supplier comes in and says don't worry we'll take care of all of that for you and you just kind of let that happen because it's another thing off of your list whereas what we're really calling for here is a much deeper dive into what that looks like and what is really happening for your people and how your people are responding to that rather than the tick box exercise which I think is where a lot of companies have been for a very long time so Let's move on to your tips, Patrick, for anybody wanting to get into this space. What are your golden nuggets? So, yeah, getting into the space, I think it's about following your your passions, because I think um, that's probably the, the main thing, really, is there's so many avenues that you can find yourself into this. You know, we all on, on the ISO committee all have um, very different backgrounds and different perspectives. And you know, quite often that's not the case because you can come through a sort of thoroughbred line of this is what we do and now we're going to develop an ISO around it. But actually travel risk management takes into account all sorts. You know, I sit on the sort of insurance and security side. You know, there's the there's the leisure travel, there's, you know, aviation, road travel, trains, you know, accommodation, uh, the tech components, communications, all these things that feed into into what is travel risk management. Um, so therefore, you can start on a career on any path within that. But if you are really interested in this, and if you're really interested in 
the nuts and bolts of how it comes together and keeping people safe and um, that could be because of your own personal experiences or just because you're a good person um, you know there are so many opportunities that you can take within that to get involved in in the broader industry um, and introducing the right practices at the, in, in the right places so you know that's that's what I would say which I think is a great thing that you know you don't have to do a master's in whatever to end up in being involved in in travel risk management you can take all sorts of paths to to get there so um, I think if you have the interest and the passion it's quite easy to find yourself um, doing these things as well. Oh, I completely second that. No masters over here. Just all, all just kind of ground experience and really being passionate in this space and learning and wanting to learn about it. And I think I love the fact that you've picked up on the fact that it's so wide because I think there is a store. There's a story for travel risk management that it's just about security. It's just about high risk destinations, and and we've got that covered. Thanks very much. Why are you all kind of going on about all this other stuff? And that's the point because it's not just about those things. And when I'm talking to corporates, and I'm sure you have the same thing, you're bringing this, well, it says so in the standard that you've got to bring stakeholders across from the whole business. So you could be in HR, you could be in IT, you could be in legal, you could be in, and go, on it goes, I can't even think of all of the other departments that I'd be thinking of, procurement, and you've all got a reason to, um, to be part of this. So it's kind of a case of picking up arms and actually looking at what you guys are, you know, what the company you work for is already doing or the company that you're going to work for is doing and then finding out how your bit fits into this piece, I think, because yeah. all of it is arguably really important. Yeah, and- I, had, I had a had a conversation literally to that point uh, with the client on, on Monday, um, which is a US-based client who said, she, she said to me, you know, where, where does travel risk management sit? Should I take ownership of it? And I was like, well, it's not really a, it's not really a role. It's more of a, a committee within an organization. You know, we like to box these things into, okay, well, even, even the travel team, you know, they're not necessarily the travel risk management team and security aren't and procurement and HR and legal and risk managers, et cetera. It's actually all of that that role all of those roles coming together in, in more of a committee environment to really um manage travel risk management with an organization appropriately um to so, share that responsibility ultimately because why should it be the responsibility of one person because you know it, it isn't and it shouldn't be and it can't be and it's you that there might be somebody heading up the committee but no i completely agree so when i move into a business normally travel is sitting in a procurement or it's sitting in finance and it's managers a cost that's it you know even for the larger companies that I work with if there is a security department it's the high risk countries that are operating in they just haven't kind of moved this it's for everything across yet and that's because that feels like it's a huge thing to manage so I'm working for a company at the moment who they've you know they're, they're operating in 146 countries getting a hold of this outside of the high risk feels really frightening and, and huge and it is to a degree, but it's just a case of getting the framework in, understanding where you're at, looking at the gaps, and then working out how we're gonna we're gonna plug them. Because ultimately, um, it feels like you've got solutions in place, but there are these gaps. And once you understand these gaps, we can we can we can fix them. It's just that we don't understand them, and we haven't necessarily got the time to look into them properly at the moment. And that's kind of what needs to be done. But it needs to be done with knowledge. It needs to be done with uh, a, a visibility of, of the industries that we're working with that perhaps you don't have from a client side. 
so it is good to work with experts to uh, to try and to try and understand that actually yes you might have this solution in place but what that actually means is is this this and this it's not quite as cut and dry as you perhaps thought um so no i love that patrick i think i'm always an advocate for wherever like i say wherever you work in a business just start looking at this because it's not it it's ultimately about people but it's about assets it's about reputation and you know i've looked at so many policies as i'm sure you have and in a business it's only in the travel policy travels even mentioned maybe yeah. a bit in the continuity policy maybe a tiny bit but there's nothing in data policies and you know what happens when people are traveling like it affects the whole business doesn't it yeah I'll let you carry on. and i think um you know we keep on touching if it's high risk and we're talking about security situations etc but it's you know it's people working for you have a heart attack on a business trip to india or paris or wherever it is um, you know, it's natural disasters. You know, I went to Puerto Rico um, straight after Hurricane Maria. So I was on one of the first commercial flights in there. And the whole uh, place, which is actually a very developed island, it's part of the US, but not many people in the US actually know that. But, um, you know, and there's a lot of industry there for, you know, around pharma. There's also a lot of investments in the insurance. Um, uh, companies were very interested in some of the their insured assets etc and and if they were still there and you know it's the caribbean island and there was lots of trade between it and people got caught out basically you know just your routine business traveler um could found themselves in some really difficult situations you know there were very limited resources water food um sanitation all those sorts of things in in a what was a disaster zone so um you know it doesn't have to be about going to Iraq, it doesn't have to be all these sorts of things. Even within the US, your duty of care, um, again, if people are traveling for business and they break their leg or they have a heart attack or find themselves in a natural disaster, a tornado, whatever it is, um, you know, that's all still your your obligation as a, as a corporate um, to, to be there to respond and, and, and support them. And it's amazing how many people, when in those moments, don't know what to do. So whether they um, have had training and whether they haven't, it's okay. Or whether they've had the information or whether they've hadn't, it, it's a case of ensuring that when people are in high stress situations or um, or you know, high traumatic situations, that they still know what to do. And that comes with practice. And so this isn't just you know let's write a policy and off we go. This is a continuous effort to ensure that your staff are aware and they know what to do because the world around us is, is changing. So it's something that, um, but yeah, let's, let's hope more people get on board, more work for us, which is always a good thing. Um, but it's something that I think that we just need to keep talking about, which is what we're doing. And Patrick, I'm just so grateful for your time today. Thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, and my snoring little dog in the background. I think you've given us a, com- a completely different perspective I always want to get into the insurance piece a bit more because if, for me, it seems like it's the biggest mystery for corporates not really understanding that bit. And certainly the travellers, it might be somebody within the business that does. So I think it's been really helpful for us to be able to do this. And I might well get you or one of maybe perhaps Nick on to do another one to, to dive into this a little bit further to just try and give people some, some more advice. I'm just conscious of time and I'm not allowed to keep going too fast. So Patrick, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
Uh, for our listeners, I look forward to seeing you in another couple of weeks and, and you listening to us. I know it's been a bit of a strange one today with the dog in the background, but hey, we're humans and things happen. Um, I will talk to you soon. You've been listening to Travel Respects and this is Talking TRM. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Talking TRM is in association with the Scent Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31030, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to a Scent Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, and links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.